1: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
2: The more muscle memory that you have, the
1: smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
3: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford.
2: Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person.
3: Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app.
1: Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree.
4: Cruises are in U.S. dollars per person, double occupancy. Taxes, fees, and port expenses additional. Restrictions apply.
5: Full details on Carnival.com. Ships registry, Bahamas, Panama. I'm John Gonzalez, the host of SI's new podcast, Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered some of the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. And now, that continues on our show. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now.
0: Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. dog. Cat.
1: Aww. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh,
6: giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you know the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome to Special Teams, a production of iHeartRadio.
7: Welcome inside to the Special Teams Podcast. I'm Jason Smith from Fox Sports Radio. The man on my left is Mike Harmon, my cohort and partner in arms for the past six years as we've had our national show on over 400 stations coast to coast. Coast to coast, they've become familiar with our brand of humor, pop culture
8: references, and the ability to yell at each other about our favorite teams. So, this is only perfect
7: to yell about some of the others in history. What is this podcast about, special teams? We are looking back at the best of the best, the best teams in the history of sports and the individual seasons that made them legendary. Maybe it's a team that blitzed everybody, went on to win a championship, or could be a team that was really, really good and just couldn't win it all. Or the others that were absolute disasters along the way
8: that we remember For all the wrong reasons.
7: Like every Mets team for the past, like, 25 years. There's been a lot of them. Almost. You came close once. Yeah, it was really close.
8: And you stayed alive till very late in the 2019 (laughs) season, only to see it torn to
7: shambles. So what are you going to get here on the podcast? Well, you will get a reliving of the incredible season that we're going to break down for you. We're going to take a look at some things that happened in pop culture that year to really get you set for the year that was. We'll take a look at where some of those players and coaches are now during this entire podcast. Everything you want to know about these legendary teams is coming your way. You also have some stories about the kid,
8: myself, and our respective growth patterns and where we were as we watched these things unfold.
7: Well, and, and I'm the kid, just so you know. I, I'm oh, I'm kid. sorry.
8: I forgot to name you you yeah.
7: call yourself the kid the kid yes well because i'm the kid all these years later yeah. but you just you can't just say oh me and the kid they go what, what, what well it's me what, and Griffey jr don't you know i just <laughs> fired you right <laughs> off the jump <laughs> so tonight we are kicking off with a bang with potentially the greatest team single season in the history of major league baseball The 2006 New York, the 1998 New York Yankees who ran out to 114 wins over the course of the regular season before blitzing their way through the playoffs. They got into a little bit of trouble in the ALCS before they won it all in a sweep over the San Diego Padres. Needed a little chaos
8: along the way. Got to get the heart rates elevated somewhere along the way. But you talk about those 114 wins. This is before the unbalanced schedule. Just absolute dominance over several opponents and certainly over the National League. Uh, per- perhaps a uh, something to look ahead in the future. We saw the crystal ball by the 13-3 and record against the National
7: League in the re- regular season. So just who were the 1998 Yankees The reason they were so dominant You take a look at their everyday lineup And the numbers that these players put up You were led by Tino Martinez Who led the team with 123 RBI Paul O'Neill knocked in 116 runs Right, So you got two guys over 100 runs That's pretty good Then you add Scott Brocious, oh, by the way, with 98. Scott Brocious, who in an 11-year career knocked in 531 runs. 90, over 90 of them in this one year with the New York Yankees because he's part of such a huge lineup. Scott Brocious had a year that right now he would get paid $30 million if he had this kind of year. that's absolutely right.
8: 16 times in Major League Baseball, you'd seen a team score 1,000 runs. A team, the Boston Bean Eaters, at the turn of the last century. Mm, That's right. Bean Eaters.
7: Right, Mm. 1894,
8: 1897, and going back to 1893, you had the Brooklyn Grooms, Yes, that later became the Los Angeles
7: Dodgers and the Yankees. Oh, that was time. a team they were all single guys hoping to get married. It was a big reality show. Absolutely, okay. ahead of its time. I give uh, you this rose and go hit a home run. But this team went and put up 965 runs. Just an absolute conga line around the bases. Bernie Williams, center fielder, 97 RBIs on the season. And then, oh, by the way, guys like Chuck Knobloch, Jorge Posada, they were in the 60s. Darryl Strawberry played in just 100 games. He still at 24. Four home runs and knocked in 57 runs this was an absolute murderer's row and there's guys on the bench for the Yankees who turned into pretty good players who just couldn't get out there because the Yankees lineup top to bottom was so good
8: well and this was the beginning of that scouting unit that became so legendary. Anytime you see a write-up or a mention of the 98 Yankees, it becomes, hey, let's talk about Linwood Garrett. Let's talk about Gordon Blakely. Those are the guys that got it all together and made all these gems. Because I mean, you, you look at this was the rise of, of all those young players that would go on to Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and huge careers across the the their spans of 15 20 year careers but I do like the fact that at the back end of this you've got Tim Raines you've got Chili Davis
7: and you mentioned Daryl Strawberry that they were part of this team now we mentioned Chuck Knobloch and Scott Brocious who both came over in trades Knobloch from the twins Brocious was to complete a deal with the A's and look Brocious was a nice player Mm -hmm. but Did the Yankees think he was going to hit 300 and and, and knock in almost 100 runs? No. But both Knobloch and Brocious were able to play second and third, 150 games and 152 games played by each of these two, and they solidified this lineup. And these were two needs that the Yankees had. Look, they had all these players who were great, but these were the needs, the need guys that they had, and they came in and not only just solidified, but these are guys that were huge linchpins in the lineup.
8: Well, and it's funny because Chuck Knobloch's a guy that when you look back at him in history, folks forget how good he was for a good chunk of his career. And certainly here, when you look at the the type of production he was able to, to give as part of the Yankee lineup, he's always known for forgetting how to throw to first base oh. and things of that nature, rather than the fact that when he was in Minnesota and here with the Yankees, was really a formidable hitter playing at
7: second base. And it's funny you say that because we actually have an example of Chuck Knobloch forgetting something in a big playoff game we're going to get to coming up in the podcast. Also on the scene was Joe Girardi. People forget, oh yeah, he was the catcher for Wild the Yankees. Cat Joe. I mean, he didn't catch a lot because Posada was the number one catcher, but this team had Joe Girardi as their catcher. He would later turn into a manager, win the World Series with them, but Girardi was on this team. And you talk about players coming in and being the linchpins of the new generation of the Yankees because they won in 96, then they won in 98, 99, 2000. They just kept winning and winning and winning. This was a team that that year drafted Mark Pryor. Who didn't sign? Right, they drafted him and they couldn't sign him. He went on to a really good but short career with the Chicago Cubs. But this is a the guy they couldn't sign. The guy
8: Later and he was that good. Pitching coach stays around Major League Baseball, but all the promise of that Cubs rotation that never was, and Dusty Baker. Maybe he's a podcast in and
7: of himself with the sweatbands on. Well, with, you got wearing, wearing the, have the sweatbands and, and the toothpick. The toothpick. You got
8: to have the toothpick. But Mark Pryor, a guy certainly uh, one of those vaunted
7: what-could-have-been type players in Major League history. They also drafted Drew Henson, who at that time was more famous for being a quarterback for the University of Michigan. And, oh, by the way, beating out a guy named Tom Brady and keeping him on the sidelines for a little bit, which was kind of weird. How about that? You know, I actually went to... Syracuse played Michigan in nineteen ninety eight, and it was Donovan McNabb's senior year, and we went to the game in Michigan. My wife and my wife is a huge Michigan fan. Syracuse was our first big battle against each other. We went back to the big house for that game, and Syracuse just blew the doors off of Michigan. I thought we were gonna lose by fifty. We get two touchdowns in the first quarter. We get another one to go up twenty-one nothing, and I'm like oh, this is a rout. And Brady goes to the sidelines and we're winning like 38-7. to Drew Henson comes off the bench in the fourth quarter to throw three touchdowns and it's 38-28. When it looked, it could have been 50 to nothing, but Drew Henson comes off the bench to throw three touchdowns, but then decides, I'd rather play Major League Baseball and he went on to a career at the Yankees that didn't really pan out.
8: And then he ended up back with the Cowboys and there's all
7: sorts of other stuff. That didn't pan out either. No, not so right. much. Uh, he still got paid. But one thing that did work out for them was that was the year they also selected Alfonso Soriano didn't affect the team this year but he became a huge cog in the teams that win the World Series in later years went over and
8: played in Japan and then
7: bounced around yeah certainly an interesting
8: career as well a guy that was a 30-30 threat for a couple of years but you talk about the farm system and what was and where you just didn't have enough room for those players to break through
7: the 1998 Yankees, of course, managed by Joe Torrey, who turned from boy, is Joe Torre really going to be a manager that can handle New York into, boy, Joe Torrey is the greatest manager we had ever seen. I mean, until he started blowing guys' arms out in the bullpen, but Joe Torre was a guy who was able to handle New York, was the player manager for the Mets earlier in his career, comes back, very laid-back attitude, was able to manage the Stars, already had a World Series crown from 1996, and this was the middle of the Joe Torrey run.
8: Well, that's the amazing thing, when you Go back to his Genesis in New York, coming in 14 years in the league, had a 471 winning percentage over four teams.
7: Yet the he, Mets being one of you're going to have a low winning percentage when you manage. But he Mets.
8: gets the keys to this car, the, the Maserati, and is able to parlay it into this monstrous run. Of World Series titles And contenders year in, year out Even the year they didn't make The playoffs in between the 96
7: And 98 World Series They won 96 games So that's what the Yankees looked like Heading into the season But before we get to the season Let's take a look back At the magical year of 1998. 1998 In
9: 1998
7: Google was founded. First time we had seen Google, 1998. Now it's on everybody's computer.
8: Yeah, they pretty much own things. I remember moving to uh, Silicon Valley, going to work for Yahoo, and that was the algorithm being used, and there was a big battle of, uh, they didn't offer them enough money when they tried to buy them outright. Dude, how are you not a millionaire?
7: I I didn't win the stock option lottery. Why am I sitting next to you? Why are you not owning the White Sox? I got there a little too late. Wow, that's why wow, it's bad timing. Yeah, timing was that. bad. That's, that's, that's but nice. I got to work
8: in sports, and I get to hang out with you,
7: buddy. All right. Well, that's hey. If you can't be a multimillionaire, hanging out with me is pretty cool. That's hanging out um, with the kid. Yeah.
8: <laughs> <laughs> See, because I I bestowed upon you the name the kid to start the episode.
7: Now you can use it. France won the World Cup. This was Zinedine Zidane in the big two goals in the final before he became a guy that was most famous for headbutting somebody in the next final of the World Cup. Yeah. Bill Clinton did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky, and we went down an impeachment road that, well, let's just say none of us saw coming. That is absolutely true. Also in the magical year of 1998, Windows 98 was released by Microsoft. I remember Windows 95, Windows 97, then Windows 98 was like the big one. That was a big advancement, was Windows 98. Well, but getting
8: everybody to upgrade their computers. Because again, jumping into the Yahoo world, helping to build the Site 99, trying to say, hey, if you want video highlights and you want to run these new programs, we need you to upgrade.
7: And a lot of fighting <laughs> with people to say, well, you need to upgrade your computer. Oh, that was always back when you would say, "Hey, I'm having trouble," and the tech report guy would say, "All right, I need you to turn your computer off and turn it back on." <laughs> and I would say, "I or, already did that." Or I already clear did your cache. I'm ready. I already did that. I, I turned it back on. Come on, I need you to do it again. Yeah, so, no, it
8: was no. all about power. Clear your cash, and then it
7: was pass the buck to someone more senior because you didn't want to deal with it. I could have really been an IT guy. Uh, turn your computer on and off. Did that work? Is no. Plug in. Let me put a ticket on your uh, on your call, <laughs> and I'll get somebody to call you back with that. Do you have a blinking light? <laughs> When you had to wait to get on the internet late at night when there was less traffic so you had a better oh, connection. We used to
8: have dopes that would stay home. I mean, even earlier when it was in its infancy finishing college it'd be like they'd uh, they'd stay home on a Friday night and you'd come back it's like, "Well, what'd you do?" It's like, "I got these two images." And then they wouldn't let half the people walk in because, "Well, we know what they were doing."
7: Popular films of 1998 include There's Something About Mary, Yeah, Saving Private Ryan, Titanic, Jack and Flying and maybe the most underrated comedy of all time in bowfinger bowfinger what about lebowski oh well
8: that's not underrated no but it was part of the 1998 canon waterboy wedding singer
7: perhaps one of the best back-to-back runs television shows that debuted in 1998 that 70s show which made a star out of just about everybody on that show this is true Kurtwood smith is a legend King of Queens was on for like 15 years. Never saw an episode. Really? No, never saw one episode. And he wore a Jets sweatshirt in every episode. I'm a huge there Jets was fan.
8: Jet stuff I never went everywhere. To see it. No,
2: never. I'm surprised
8: saw it. that wasn't your number one show and that you're not walking around <laughs> with a Kevin James shirt most days in the office. Hell, I'm surprised you don't have a Kevin James tattoo.
7: No, what well, come on, I can't do that. that. Gut say- him amount he tried to pump up the jets are you kidding me No, i gotta save myself for a pete alonzo test he's better night. than fireman ed in terms of what he did for <laughs> fandom also debuting in 1998 will and grace a show that falls under the category of a show that was canceled too early sports night and a show that i must admit i'm embarrassed to say i watched a lot of because i had a huge crush on rose mcgowan charmed oh, nice. debuted in 1998
8: there you go whose line is it anyway and uh, reboot of fantasy
7: island Oh, I didn't watch that.
8: Well, it's, it's that.
7: been 20 years. It's time for another one. And I didn't watch Charmed either until Rose McGowan came on because she replaced Shannon Doherty oh, yeah. after like, I think like six years. Oh my God, that show was on a long time. It was. They think I had a really good run. Maybe the biggest thing that tied the success of the nineteen ninety-eight Yankees to pop culture in nineteen ninety-eight was the fact it was Seinfeld's final year. And of course, George Steinbrenner via Larry David was one of the more popular characters on the show. And that's the funny thing. At the time it was Larry
8: David was the creator. Most people didn't quite get that. Who is he, this guy? He kept Larry popping David up in all these episodes, different characters, but there he is as Steinbrenner with some of those great lines and one-liners throughout the run. I remember this.
9: Seinfeld finale as we waved goodbye. I went and saw Blue
8: Man Group at a small theater in Chicago. Like, ah, taped it. And then all of a sudden, Blue Man Group is a multi billion dollar corporation with multiple groups running around and running amok all across the world. But Seinfeld is still a staple all these years later. And anytime there is a big Stein reference, it's all for the better.
7: Get Ken Phelps. Get Ken Phelps. That's all they told me. Best home run to at bat ratio in Major League Baseball. Get Ken Phelps. Some kind of fermented chicken product. And the year in music in 1998 was known for one main thing the reintroduction of swing music into our pop culture. Brian Setzer Orchestra, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Zoot Suit Riot. Tell me you don't still listen to that every once in a while. I don't listen to it as much. The only song I listen to is the Lou Bega Mambo Number no. 5. <laughs> I, I that came like a bit that later one. than 1998, yeah. but hey. And then the movie Swingers, which of course encapsulates everything with your
8: You're swing so funny and
7: you don't even know it. No, exactly. I I make Gretzky's head bleed. Watch me make Gretzky's head bleed. Oh, there you go. NHL 94. So that's the year of 1998. Now you are ready for the run the Yankees had, the magical run, as we continue here on the Special Teams Podcast.
5: I'm John Gonzalez, the host of Sports Illustrated Weekly. Sports Illustrated has delivered the best storytelling in sports for 70 years. First in the pages of the magazine, then on SI.com, and now that tradition continues on a new podcast. Each week, we'll dive deep into the best stories from around the sports world. We'll ask the questions that we're all wondering and push for the answers we all want. Everything from investigating the Super Bowl's impact on L.A., to examining why booing is as big a part of the fan experience as cheering. Sports Illustrated Weekly is here to bring you the entertaining tales you can't get anywhere else. The kinds of stories that make you smile and laugh, clap and cry, marvel, think, and fall in love with sports all over again. Sports Illustrated Weekly is available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now.
7: Continuing on with the debut episode of the Special Teams Podcast as we talk about the 1998 New York Yankees and their place in baseball history. It was a smooth ride for the Yankees for the most part in 1998, but there was some obstacles they had to overcome. And maybe we should have known something was up with the Yankees when their opening day game was a 17-13 win over the Oakland A's. I mean, normally in the NFL, you see week one games that defenses play well 6-3 is your final 10-6 nope here's your opening day where the yankees outslug the a's 17-13 probably should have known at that point that the yankees might have a special year
8: that it was going to be a little bit different but also coming out of spring training every year it's the same thing well pitchers are going to be ahead of the hitters uh, not so fast we can look through the 2019 week one schedule i bet you there's 30 uh, runs scored here, beat a number of NFL efforts. I'm, I'm certainly remembering the Bears-Packers. I mean, it absolutely trounces the number of points scored in that game.
7: Every game the Jets played as well. Every, every game. Every game. You every go through the entire
8: schedule. But 17-13, yeah, I mean, you're looking at a, a formidable lineup. And as we said, I mean, 17 runs off the jump. You're
7: raising an eyebrow wondering what's to come. So after that win, the Yankees were off. Their batting order started to hit. Their pitching pitched well enough. And, and, you know, And one thing people don't remember is that the Yankees' bullpen wasn't that great. It was really just, and to say it was just, it was really just Mariana Rivera, the greatest relief pitcher we've ever seen, and Graham Lloyd. None of the other relievers really had great years for them. But when you were scoring the runs the Yankees did, you had starting pitching go deep into the the game the way they did, you didn't need that many guys. How dare you take away the...
8: Exploits of ten game winner Ramiro Mendoza. He was a fantasy god that year. Okay. Holds and wins out of the bullpen. Okay. Three okay. two five ERA. Fine. He got the job done. That guy pitched every day. He, he had was, a rubber arm.
7: <laughs> he pitched in forty games. What are you talking about?
9: He pitched in 40 games. He had 130
7: innings pitched. Well, okay, so he pitched a lot of innings, but he's only pitched in 40 games. He just kept
8: showing up and giving you absolute gold. It I was mean, like today's version of you had a an opener, and then Mendoza came in and took it until Rivera took the
7: ball for the ninth. I mean, you had Mike Stanton, who pitched in 67 games, and his ERA was almost six. And they brought him in that many times. Not even Mickey Callaway, manager of the Mets, would do that. <laughs> well, when I mean, at some point, i got to bring in somebody else. You, you scored 965
8: runs over the course of the year. <laughs> you weren't worried about what Stanton was doing most of the time. Hey, what's the
7: score? 9-3. Yeah, Stanton, go in. Just he don't give up more inning. than four. Exactly. And you'll be good. That's really what it came down to. Very early in the season, the Yankees had another big day. On May 17th, David Wells pitched a perfect game. Wells is a pitcher who had had a pretty good career up until becoming a Yankee, but really being a Yankee was it for him. It was the end-all, be-all. I'm a Yankee, and you watch the success he had that year, 18-4 and four with an ERA just under 3.5, and, and no one can forget when he really, when he finished that no-hitter and he became famous. And it was, what's the tattoo on your arm? Oh, that's my son's face. And that was when everybody went, oh. For David Wells. He's got a tattoo of his son's face. Oh. I like the fact that he wore the Babe Ruth jersey
8: out. He's like, I'm going out. It's like Costanza running around in Seinfeld. What are you wearing? Old Babe Ruth uniform. They're not going to fire me. David Wells, same thing. He was just a fan of the franchise, of its history, and a baseball, and a character larger in life. Because most of these guys, and as you go down this roster, I mean, we, we know about Dave Daryl Strawberry and, and his history But David Wells is kind of an outlier. The rest of these guys are pretty straight and narrow as you go through, right? Tino Martinez and Jorge Posada, Derek Jeter. I mean, yeah, you you have the rumors of gift baskets and all, but it's Derek Jeter. I mean, there's nothing stuck to him. He's he's a baseball god. Bernie Williams, what's he going to do? Slap the bass for you and play some guitar. I mean, that's that's what he's going to do in his post. Thump, 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 thump. thump but beyond thump, that, thump, I mean, there are guys.
7: Two, three, four, five. It's Bernie Williams. <laughs> all right, you're he's obsessing over bag again.
8: Sorry, I was. I don't know that Bernie Williams has ever graced the stage with Lou Vega.
7: We'll have to research that. But the best part about this Yankee team and what you've come to know over the course of the years is that look how good the Yankees' farm system is, right? We've seen it recently. We've seen it 10 years ago, but this was really the beginning because all these players who became the linchpins were all players who came up through the organization. Right? Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Jorge Posada. We saw a list of these players, a litany of players who were star players. Soriano, we talked about him a few minutes ago, but they also had the right balance of free agents. Paul O'Neill from the Cincinnati Reds. As we mentioned, David Wells came over. David Cohn, who had already won uh, World Series with the Toronto Blue Jays, one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. Andy Pettit was a guy that came up from the minor league system, so it was a great balance. So as much as you want to say, hey, this is the Yankee team that Oh, boy, you remember all these guys who became great players for over a decade? Oh, they kind of matched up with, hey, they had five or six real big stars that were homegrown, and they got it right when it came to free agents. Well, that timing that, that
8: comes into play, good work by the front office, but, you know, you, you only hope that. We watch it in different sports. You certainly watched it for the recent run that the Cubs had. Over the last five, six years, where guys matured all at the same rate from a football perspective. The drafts that Seattle Seahawks had when they had their runs to the Super Bowl. You know, you have Russell Wilson, you have all those fourth, fifth round guys that became all pro players, and those are rare. And for this Yankees squad, and certainly 96 going forward, but this was where it became their team moving forward right Jeter was a youngster that was his first full year in 96 now he's the guy he's on his way to becoming the captain and he's one of the focal points here you know Wade Boggs and all those guys they're gone it's a it's a new world order but you sprinkle in a few of these veterans and it propels the Yankees to being that franchise again much to your chagrin as a Mets fan one Two, three,
7: four, five. Wade Boggs is drinking beers and he's bailing. Barely- and he's riding a horse. <laughs> that was not this World Series. No, man. that was different, two years prior. Different World Series, different horse. And he was the only guy that rode out on a horse. Maybe the only drama the Yankees had in the rest of this season came. Two days after David Wells' perfect game, a huge bench-clearing brawl they had with the Baltimore Orioles that saw both sides want a piece of each other, and while the Yankees clearly weren't intimidated by this, I mean, when it comes to drama, I mean, that's how good this Yankee team was, was why they had this brawl, and then it was just methodically win-win. Win, win. They were never in trouble. They were never a team that you thought, oh, they could. No, no big losing streaks. No, this is a team that after that bit of drama on May 19th, suddenly it was, hey, playoffs are here, day one, and we're ready to go.
8: Well, that's it. Locked in from day one, you mentioned the 17 runs opening day. They go 62 and 19 at home. Right, absolutely dominating the opposition. You roll through thirty. This is really an uncanny stat as you look at the regular season: fifteen losses against the teams of the AL East, AL West, and AL Central each. Kind yeah. of weird, kind of an anomaly, right? I don't know that we'd see that thirteen and three against the NL, but just absolutely dominant. August fourteen and five, June ten and one, July ten and two, just rolling through and no distractions. Not a lot of injuries. You go through the games played, as we were talking about a little bit earlier with Knoblock and Brocious. You I mean, know, Neil at 150, Jeter at 148. You got guys playing every day, and that continuity is very rare in Major League Baseball. They were blessed, you know, to have guys be able to make it out and answer the bell every day as well. The New
7: York Yankees only lost one season series in 1998. That's how dominant they were. They were 11-1 against Tampa Bay, 10-0 against Kansas City. Every other team, they won the series, except they split with Toronto, 6-6, the only team to win the season series, the then-Anaheim Angels, who won six out of the 11 games against the Yankees. How about that? And they were 2-1 against your Mets. But, yeah, the
8: Anaheim Angels, now the Los Angeles Angels, of Anaheim, make sure you get it right. Or Greater Anaheim,
7: finding- San Bernardino County. That's right. San Diego, North Country Angels. North Country. Yes, I like that's that. that's how we say the Angels. That's that's a long-
3: witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80.
7: Title. So the Yankees finished the regular season, and what is their prize slash victim slash big victim awaiting them in the first round of the ALDS? First round of the ALDS, the Yankees got to take on the Texas Rangers, and that was not good news for the Texas Rangers. This was not competitive. It was a series that you could see it coming and say, well, how long till it's over? Game one was won by the Yankees two 0. David Wells starting game one, gets the win. Mariana Rivera gets the save. Yankees are off to a great start. Game two in Yankee Stadium. Yankees win 3-1. It's Andy Pettit, who was almost unbeatable at home during his run with the Yankees. Rivera gets the save again. A great game pitched by Rick Helling for the Texas Rangers, and that goes for naught. Same thing you can say for Todd Stottlemyre well, right. in game two one great for starts the Rangers.
8: You're expecting some run support, but dominance at home.
7: And then game three. It was all David Cohn. The Yankees win it 4-0, two home runs from Shane Spencer and Paul O'Neill, and they sweep the ALDS against the Rangers, in which the Rangers score a grand total of one run in three games. And I guarantee you, if you told the Rangers going into the series, game one you're going to give up two runs, game two you're going to give up three runs, game three you're going to give up four runs, they would say, we'll take that. Well, no, I can't. We will take that.
8: You just went into a series against a Yankees team that was nearly scoring a thousand runs on the year and your pitchers came to and did their jobs, right? We talk about starting pitching so much in today's game. You look at Stottlemyre, you look at Helling and the efforts that they put up in those two games to get zero run support. It's zero opportunity to push forward and Look, Shane Spencer's your hero. Yeah, I right? remember how big a deal he became. Oh, the interview with period. Jim Gray. Yeah, yeah. No, all of a sudden he was he was the guy. He was the it guy for that ALDS, and
7: they just cruised straight through, just like they did during the regular season. So, awaiting the Yankees now in the ALCS were the Cleveland Indians, the Indians team that eliminated them the year before. The Yankees won the World Series in 1996, knocked out. By the Indians in 1997, Indians went to the World Series, lost to the Marlins. That was Edgar Renneria and Jose Mesa, and look at what happened in the ninth inning to the Indians, who were so close to finally winning the World Series. Couldn't get it done. And one of the
8: two Marlins World Series that still taunt Major League Baseball to this day.
7: Yeah, Marlins championships really do. because that was The Marlins had the slash-and-burn agriculture strategy of, we're going to win the World Series. What are you doing next? We're trading everybody. Anybody that's all got the way a down salary to the studs.
8: that requires two commas, gone. <laughs> <laughs> two commas.
7: You're going to get $1,500 a day. If you're a two-comma kid, you're out. So this is the Indians team awaiting the Yankees and the only bit of adversity they faced. Remember earlier in the show I told you about how Chuck Knobloch would come back in a flourish? Well, he did. How did it end? That's coming up right next here on the Special Teams Podcast.
4: cruises are in us dollars per person double occupancy taxes fees and port expenses additional restrictions apply full details on carnival.com ships registry bahamas panama
9: and we're live here outside the perez family home just waiting for the and there they go almost on time this morning mom is coming out the front door strong with a double arm kid carry looks like dad has the bags daughter is bringing up the rear oh but the diaper bag wasn't closed diapers and toys are everywhere
6: Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at nhtsa.gov/slash/the-right-seat. Visit nhtsa.gov/slash/the-right-seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
9: If I could be you, and you could be
5: me, for just one hour,
6: if you could find a way
5: to get inside each other's mind, walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a a mile mile in in my 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 shoes.
7: Moving on with the special teams podcast, our debut episode featuring the 1998 New York Yankees, possibly the single greatest team in a single season in Major League Baseball history. The ALCS saw the Yankees face the Cleveland Indians, who eliminated them the year before. They win game one over Cleveland, seven to two. So everything is good for the Yankees. Game two, the Indians take four to one. A very big deal because now the Yankees were facing adversity. They had won the first two, and now what are we going to see in the next two? Cleveland beats the Yankees 6-1. to That was where it went. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger for the Yankees because this is really the first time in the year, Mike, they faced adversity. Hey, wait a minute. You're down 2 1 to a team that just knocked you out of the playoffs a year ago. You have not faced adversity. How are they going to handle it? Yeah, the big line. That you hear from people all the time, whether it's boxing or football. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And this was the Yankees getting punched in the face by the Cleveland Indians. Well, losing two games in a row, something we didn't
8: see very often. I mean, you're winning 114 games during the regular season and absolutely dominating any and all comers. So all of a sudden you get to the ALCS and hit major speed bumps. How do you respond, right? Your starting pitching has been there for you all year long. Wells, Cone, Pettit, Irabu, and El Duque giving you quality as well. Between them, they won 25 games at the back end of the rotation. But suddenly, you know, was the bullpen going to be too thin? Were you going to be able to use those players in long relief? I Means suddenly for New York
7: fans, it got real in a hurry. Game two of this, where the Yankees lost to the Indians, is where the Chuck Knobloch story comes up, and this is why If you are playing Little League baseball and the coach always tells you, play till the end, wait till timeout is called before you want to argue with an official or a referee or an umpire about (laughs) something. In the 12th inning of this game, it's a tie game, Chuck Knobloch didn't like a call at first base and started to protest and yell at the first base umpire. What happened is the Indians runner... Goes all the way around to score because he's watching Knobloch argue about an interference call at first base. Send me back if you need to send me back. In the interim, I'm running. I'm just going to keep going. At least it wasn't Knobloch not throwing the ball to somebody because that was the knock on Knobloch for most of his career. Now it becomes a new wrinkle to the Chuck Knobloch fielding expedition. So with the Yankees facing their first set of adversity, we get to game four where Cleveland can really put a stranglehold on the series. And this is where you mentioned El Duque, Orlando Hernandez, who comes through with the game the Yankees absolutely needed. He was so strong, pitching a gem. The Yankees shut out the Indians for nothing. And this is where a collective sigh of relief was felt. And I remember talking to my dad, who is the biggest big Yankee, Yankee fan, fan in the Hi, I mean, Walt. My dad is just the biggest Yankee fan you know yankee fans don't like to talk about anything but their team sure so like if i talk to my dad and go hey dad yeah yeah, you know the yankees now, we should have done this 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 and i would say hey you know you know what the mets did tonight he'd go yeah yeah but you know we should have done last night was Girardi should have done this i mean that's my dad but when i talked to my dad after that game i remember going boy you really needed that when he goes now we got it now no sweat we're going to win this. We're going to win the World Series. And I said, really? He goes, yes, this was our big test. This was El Duque finally coming through. And look, when the Yankees signed Orlando Hernandez, he was like a, a cult figure, the sure. big high leg kick. And, and nobody knew, you know, how good was he going to be, brother of LeVon Hernandez, who was the first guy to come over from Cuba and really make a big dent in Major League Baseball. He was this, like, cult figure. And... What kind of game was he going to give you? What was he going to be like in the playoffs? And he pitches the game, the game of the year for the Yankees.
8: Great in the regular season, 12-4 and and a 3-1 ERA, 131 strikeouts in 141 innings. He'd been everything as advertised, and certainly in this spot. But I don't want to bury the lead. Game three, a young, svelte Bartolo Colon was the winner. Very svelte. And game four, Doc Gooden took the loss yeah. for the Indians, which always looked weird. Yeah, right. We talk about players and they and player movement through the years, and now it's become more fluid. You get used to hey, guys, somewhere for two years, and then starts moving around. Back then, he's a Met. He was always a Met. What he looked but when he was a Yankees Yankee because he
7: pitched a no hitter with the Yankees. Right, but, but even yeah.
8: even then, it just didn't look right. He was a, he was a Met, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there he is in the ALCS pitching against the
7: Yankees. He so, should have he should have been allowed to play for the Yankees wearing a Mets uniform. That's what should have happened. That would have been special rules. (laughs) I I need dispensation
8: for this one because it's going to make me feel like I'm back in 1985 all over again.
7: After that, the Yankees win Game 5 by the final of 5-3, and then they blow out the Indians in Game 6, 9-5. They take the ALCS four games to two, and awaiting them in the World Series... The next victim, the San Diego Padres, who everybody felt bad for. Look how good the Padres are! What a great year they've had! Look how exciting as the Padres are in the World Series! Isn't it great for Tony Gwynn? Yeah, yeah, poor Tony Gwynn. That was his. That was his chance, and he got. Caught up in a steamroller. Yeah, unfortunately, it
8: uh, did not end well. But he got to play on that stage, something a lot of Major League Baseball
7: greats through the years never did. Game one of the World Series wasn't quite the rollover the Yankees expected. The Yankees trailed this game 5-2, going to the bottom of the seventh inning, playing at home. This was a bit stunning. Wait a minute, the Padres are going to beat the— because sometimes you're that visiting team and you win game one. That changes the series entirely. But bottom of the seventh inning— The Yankees got two hits that changed the World Series. Chuck Knobloch, a three-run homer. Tino Martinez, grand slam. The Yankees put up seven in the bottom of the seventh, and they win game one, nine to six. Not a great game for David Wells, but he wins game one. Greg Vaughn hit two home runs for the Padres in that one. So did Tony Gwynn, but the three-run jack by Knobloch, grand slam by Tino Martinez. That was it.
8: Tony Gwynn hit a home run in the upper deck, okay? Tony Gwynn was not a home run hitter. One of the greatest hitters you'll ever see in your life, but when he launches a home run in game one of the World Series, if you're on the Yankee dugout, go ahead. All right, this has just gone south on us in a major, major way. Greg Vaughn, fine. Home run hitter. Tony Gwynn turning and launching one like that. That short bat (laughs) he had that was like 25 inches long. Oh, that was something. I remember when he, uh, after his retirement, they did a commemorative bat day, and they gave away bats that were that small.
7: (laughs) Game two? Not a contest. The Yankees, fresh off their big hits in the seventh inning, score three in the first, three in the second. They blow out San Diego 9-3. to three. El Duque gets the win. Bernie Williams goes deep. Jorge Posada goes deep. And suddenly now you're thinking, oh, this might only go a couple of more games.
8: Well, they righted, righted the ship, right? And, and all the struggles at the early part of game one come out with a win. Now you have game two. And El Duque getting it done once again. Ashby the loser, Williams and Posada both homer,
7: so you're feeling right. The scene then shifted back to San Diego for Game 3, and a must-have game for the Padres at Qualcomm. Well, Qualcomm was still a, a really nice stadium and not the stadium it turned into. This was a game the Padres again thought, hey, I think we might have this. Three runs in the bottom of the sixth inning gave them a 3 nothing lead. We're feeling pretty good. One more time through the order for the Yankees. Our bullpen, we're good. Nope. Yankees get two in the seventh, three in the eighth. Scott Brocious, who we talked about earlier in the podcast, two home runs. The Yankees win at 5-4. Rivera closes it out. Trevor Hoffman, Hells Bells, who was the guy that the Padres were saying, he's the person we want in for all of our games. Look, the second best closer that we've ever seen behind Mariano Rivera, and he gets hung with the loss, and that really was the end of the World Series. You beat... Trevor Hoffman liked that. Two home runs, Brocious hits. He gets the big L. That was a three game to nothing lead for the Yankees. Well, you, you beat their best, and then Mariano
8: Rivera's allowed to come out and wave at you and finish the job and beginning
7: that legend of Rivera. In game four, it was scoreless through five. But the Yankees score a run in the sixth. They get two in the eighth. Andy Pettit with a shutout saved by Mariano Rivera. Rivera saved three games in the World Series. Kevin Brown gets the loss. The Yankees win it 3-0. They are your World Series champion. And Scott Brocious is named your World Series most valuable player for the game he had in Game 3. And look... It happens all the time. You get to the World Series, you get to the ALCS, and you think, okay, one of our stars is going to lead us. And how often does it turn out to be a guy that, oh, by the way, we're going to do everything we can to stop your big boppers from hurting us, whether it's Martinez or Paul O'Neill or Bernie Williams, and it turns out to be Scott Brocious, who is the big hero for the Yankees. A guy that just takes what's coming – Uh, down the pipes,
8: right? You're not pitching around him, you're just saying pitch to contact and that's what you had with most of the the pitchers involved in this series of just saying put it in play, we'll get the ground out we'll get the pop out, whatever the case is in this case, a guy 19 and 98 in the regular season comes through huge in the World Series and stuff of folklore right? Because you look at all these other legendary names, those that were everyday players, those who were spot starters here or, or riding the bench a bit more injured, and Scott Brocious becomes a legend and an answer to a trivia question.
7: Joe Torrey is your manager of the year in Major League Baseball, wins his second World Series with the New York Yankees, and I can't go back to teams I didn't see. When I Look, I started watching baseball when I was very young, so sure. I can go back to the mid to late 1970s. And I was a little bit too young for the big red machine in 1976 that swept the Yankees that my dad still never forgets about. But Going from 1980 onward, I have not seen one team more dominant top to bottom than the New York Yankees in 1998. A couple of years later, the Mariners had a season in which they set the record for most wins in the season, but obviously they didn't win the World Series. But this was excellence from Game 1 to 162. You had that little hiccup against the Indians, and then they just completely threw the hammer down and go through the Indians and the San Diego Padres, hot knife through butter. That's the most dominant season I've seen since 1980 in Major League Baseball.
8: And what's interesting about it, though, is if you look at the, the way the season evolved, the Yankees did it quietly, because everybody was worried about the home run chase. It's McGuire, it's Sosa, and for a long time it was Ken Griffey Jr. I remember you know, going to the hall of fame. And they had a giant display up front that had a home run tracker on the day. And it was just, did they hit one? And they're playing the at bats as you're mm-hmm. standing in the vestibule. And they've got the X's up for how many they've hit. And you're rolling through. That was the story. Everybody was worried about the home runs and was McGuire going to beat out Sosa, Ken Griffey Jr. Hanging around for a while. And that's the buzz. That's where everything was. Quietly, as, as quietly as you can for a Yankees team, they're going on and winning 114 games. And you go through, nobody hit more than 28 home runs for this team. It was all about balance. Four guys with 97 or more RBI. You look at it, it a batting order that just everybody produced. And so there wasn't that, you know, leader, that one guy with the monster stats to go through. It was all about a team. And now most teams we we look at in Major League Baseball these days, there's always the one guy with the monster numbers. I'll single out your Mets and Pete Alonzo.
10: (laughs) Now you also
8: had Jeff McNeil, who had himself a fantastic year as well. But you got two guys. And their pitching staff, they, they stand out. The rest of the guys, all right, maybe some decent years mixed in. Here, everybody contributed to what was a monster season, and then they just ran
7: roughshod on the opposition when it came time for the playoffs and World Series. One guy that we haven't talked about yet for the Yankees you know, people remember 1998 is that big year for Maguire and Sosa, but the Yankees were quietly just winning game after game mm-hmm. after game. Nobody thought these teams were going to do anything in the playoffs. It became about the Yankees after the regular season ended. And you had Hideki Arabu on this team, who was a much maligned pitcher who the Yankees paid a lot of money to come over for from Japan. George Steinbrenner, who was then the Yankee owner, insulted him, called him a fat toad at one point, and Irabu never became the pitcher the Yankees thought he was going to be. Still, he had a good year that year. He won 13 games. His ERA was just four. His life ended tragically in 2011, but... That was the one drama bit that became a bit of a, I would say a lighter story for the Yankees in that year was, boy, Hideki Arabu, Hideki Arabu. Remember, he was even featured in the final episode of Seinfeld. You know, they were all in jail, and when George Costanza's dad showed up, wanted to say, because George Steinbrenner was testifying in Seinfeld, and everybody was asking him questions, and he yelled, how could you pay $12 million for Hideki Erabu? And that became part of pop culture phenomenon, was him saying that line at the end of Seinfeld. Jerry Stiller, see?
8: King of Queen, Seinfeld, it all piles together as you roll through. But 13 wins, 406 ERA, short career, unfortunate end, as you said, but part of Yankee folklore and for a while I mean he tried He hit a couple other stops in Major League Baseball before his career ended but certainly not the
7: massive uh, returns for the Yankees that they envision so what about a couple of the players that we talked about and featured over the course of this podcast let's take a look at where they are now where are, are, they, now? They, now? are they now Scott Brocious Hung around Major League Baseball for a while. Never had a year like he had with the Yankees. Later on became the Seattle Mariners' third base coach. And in 2019, earlier in the year, was named USA Baseball Senior Director of Player Development. How many times do you think he says, you know, back in 98 when I was playing against the Padres in the World Series and I had two home runs in Game 3. I think every conversation would have to begin with that.
8: First line, do you know how to bunt?
7: (laughs) And will you take one for the team? If not, you're out! And remember El Duque, Orlando Hernandez, he had a big disputed birth certificate. Nobody knew when he was born. His birth certificate said 1969, but then another one came out that said 1965. So how old was this guy? Was he really a young rookie? Was he a guy who was almost 30 years old? Nobody knew. And that was really the first of the stories of, boy, when players come over from foreign countries, how old are they really? That was El Duque. Falsification
8: of documents, certainly something that we still see in the news now and again.
7: guessing of players' ages. 2017, he broadcast the World Series for ESPN Deportes. And this is where you see a lot of guys from foreign countries pop up now doing work, staying in Major League Baseball, maybe nationally, but some of them internationally. A little bit
8: of global ambassadorship as well because you can talk about that Yankee brand, flash the World Series ring, and, and keep building that
7: franchise going forward. So that's our look back at what could be the greatest year, single year, in Major League Baseball history, the 1998 New York Yankees. I'm Jason Smith. I'm Mike Harmon. Uh, you can listen to our show. Our radio show is Monday through Friday, 7 to 11 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. East Coast time. On Fox Sports Radio, we are on over 400 stations coast to coast throughout the country. I'm on Twitter at How About a Fresca. Mike is at Swollen Dome. It's an old name left over from from fantasy. I football. have a big head. You do. Well, I mean, you do. I just I was just trying to be nice and say, well, it's it okay. Kinda, Let's just cut good. to the chase. Okay, uh, you want to hit us up with questions about the 1998 New York Yankees again on Twitter at HowAboutA at Swollen Dome again. Our radio show Monday through Friday on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, check your local listings for the station in your area. Before you go, rate and review the show, whether you're listening on iHeartRadio, iHeartRadio apps, Apple, whatever it is. Give us a rate. Tell us you like it. We will love you forever and ever and ever. Special Teams is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio,
4: visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thunderstruck.
5: We've all felt left out, and for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
0: Mama, what does the
1: chicken say?
0: Uh, dog. Cat.
1: Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe, uh, giraffe.
6: You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you know the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration
3: and the Ad Council. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.